Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Xander, Becca, how's it going? So fabulous. Oh, that's a fun new word. <laughs> I just love data and I love uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, so I'm ready for this episode. Wow. Are you a Sherlock, uh, a homite, a home fan, a homie? Yeah, I'm a homie. <laughs> we call ourselves a homies. A homies, yeah, well, yeah. Fun the fact, Sherlock homies. There are, there's, there's still a very um, avid Holmes sort of fan group. Uh, yeah. It yeah, was... we believe he's still alive. If Sherlock Holmes is still alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Sherlock Holmes <laughs> lives in Philadelphia right now. Uh, he is still alive. He's 131. Good for him. Um, but still sharp as a tech. Solving those mysteries. <laughs> Jake, what are we doing today? <laughs> We're doing a great episode. It's Elementary Dear Data. It's the wonderful episode where the Enterprise is threatened when a character in Data and LaForge's holodeck simulation becomes sentient. <gasps> unlike every other holodeck episode <laughs> yeah yeah it's so yeah. true uh but before we begin today i want to invite one of our dear friends to join us for a discussion this is our first guest on to boldly watch <gasps> oh. i'm very excited uh please welcome bonnie gordon <gasps> Yay! hi bonnie how did i get here your transporter worked amazing <laughs> It's just hailing frequencies. It's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. We should have warned you instead of beaming you right from your living room into this space. But yeah, at least give me give me some time to put pants on. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Who needs None mean, of us are wearing you pants. You never know okay. when the transporter is going to get you. It's very true. <laughs> we'll transport some pants on you. Oh, Thank man. You. I want that to happen in an episode. <laughs> Bonnie, welcome. Thanks for so much for being here. Thank for those of you, you that don't know Bonnie, she is the other half of the library bards along with Xander. <laughs> we did the hands. Yeah, the uh, for those of you just listening to the podcast, there is a hand signal that goes along whenever anyone says library bards. Jazz hands. Jazz it's hands. Actually, <laughs> it was very instinctual how you did it. I actually think it was involuntary at this point. It like is. your it brain's is. just doing it. Yeah. Even even when we're doing like just regular uh, podcasts with no visual, if someone says library bards, we do the hands and we're like, no one can see us. What is wrong with us? <laughs> Well, now you've got us doing it. Yeah. Uh, for, for those that don't know, what is Library Bards? Xander? Library Bards are a nerd parody band. We take top 40 hits and transform them. Oh, I should, I should do the actual thing. That's right. The Library Bards are a nerd parody band. That's right. We take top 40 <laughs> hits to transport, uh, transform them into the nerdy versions they should have been in the first place. We make them better. We switched roles on we that. We did. That's weird. I don't like that. Wild. We'll never, we're never doing that again. Mm. I was like, this is not my line. Mm. We didn't know the difference, but we knew something was wrong. <laughs> Follow us at Library Bards all over the place. We've got a few Star Trek songs. That's right. Yeah. Well, speaking of Star Trek and dynamic duos, this episode features Jordy and Data having quite an adventure on their own, right? Y'all. Uh, have you, you've seen this one before? Well, actually, before we get into it, what's your what's your experience with Star Trek, Bonnie? Yeah. I know oh, you are very familiar. Oh, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am a huge Trekkie, first off. Uh, not only ha- am I a Trekkie just loving uh, the universe, loving the lore, I actually got to kind of be in the world. I used to work the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas before it closed down. So I was 
uh, one of the actors uh, as part of that attraction. I was in full uh, Starfleet uniform. I was on the bridge. Uh, I would be talking to LaForge and Commander Riker on a screen, and they'd be, like, yelling at me, like, get these people to the shuttle bay. And I'm like, yes, sir. You know, Instant Bonnie, Thomas reporting for duty. I don't know if – because it's been closed for a little while. I'm not sure everybody knows what the Star Trek experience is. Do you want to Since 2008. It? Since 2008. Right. Uh, uh, let's see. So the Star Trek experience was an attraction in Las Vegas. It was – um. It consisted of, like, two attraction, like, rides type of thing, but they were uh, immersively experience, uh, experiences to where, like, you would be on, like, a full set with actors in full Starfleet um, gear, as well as there was a Quarks uh, where – and a huge promenade where you could have dinner, you could have lunch, and uh, actors what would be – What about breakfast? Sure. <laughs> if you if that's – most people weren't awake for breakfast, but yeah. Uh, a Quark yeah, it's omelet? Vegas. Yeah, just or they clear- just hadn't gone to sleep yet. Just to clarify that a little bit, too, it combined sort of Next Generation and Voyager and DS9, which were yeah. all sort of running at this similar times. I remember Ooh. seeing commercials for the Star Trek experience yeah. it's when incredible. I was a kid we being had, like, whoa. We had improv actors walking around as Klingons and Dorians, Ferengi. Uh, the Ferengi would be in the gift shop trying to, like, sell you products and, like, uh, make you buy <laughs> merchandise. It was really funny. Typical and, Ferengi. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole uh, Next Gen side uh, attraction where you would be as if you were going on a ride but then all of a sudden you would be transported in through a wormhole onto the actual uss enterprise which was a replica bridge right it was it it was the transporter room we'd go down to the bridge we'd get into a turbo lift we'd go down to the shuttle bay it was like it was big there was a transporter effect too like you physically you were in one room and then like like they pull your molecules apart and put you back together in another part of las vegas we have that they beam you through the Luxor light and then you come back down in Excalibur. You would be uh you would be in a room watching a little safety video about like, oh, we're gonna get on a ride. This is great. And then all of a sudden things would start shaking, uh you you lights would flash, the the, the video would shh, go blank, and then it would go dark and you'd feel this vacuum effect, and then all of a sudden the lights would come up and you would be in a room twice the size as the one you were in, uh, as the transporter room on the That's US so Enterprise. Cool. It was amazing. That's a- uh, YouTube this, everyone. Everyone go yeah, YouTube yeah. the Star Trek experience. It's they do like a full walkthrough of it. It's incredible. It's amazing, and it was such a fun job. <laughs> but anyway, to to clarify, I'm a huge Trekkie, and I was up. I was like talking to Riker and LaForge. <laughs> yeah. Did you get this job first, or did you hear about the Star Trek experience? Were a fan of it, and then were like, I must work there. The Star Trek experience experience is actually what made me a Trekkie. Because I was familiar with Star Trek, but I wasn't like a huge Star Trek fan. And I went to the audition and kind of BS'd my way through a lot of the audition and improved, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, they would ask me questions where I would have to improv as a Starfleet officer. And I would like, I, I can't answer that. That would break the time space continuum. You know, I would just like, <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't answer that prime directive. And they were just like, okay, you got to answer something. Like, and I'd be like, uh-huh. So I would just, I would just BS my way through the audition, but I, I knew enough to get to get me the job and then i was like i probably should do some research and then I, that's when i started <laughs> binging the show and was like what a great way to get into the show through that that's amazing yeah sitting sitting in my starfleet uniform at home yeah. you know just like flipping through <laughs> it's really great that we have you uh the person who like lived a experience about uh living through something you want to recreate because we're having an episode where our characters are living through something they uh wish to relive right yeah they, yeah great. and data is my all-time favorite character and i'm also a huge sherlock Holmes fan uh just like becca scott was saying like i love sherlock holmes he 
I was a huge sci-fi fantasy nerd growing up, and Sherlock was one of the few things that wasn't like a fantasy novel that I would read, just because I was so intrigued by his intellect and the fact that he had like no empathy for people yet could like help others in a way. I don't know. It was just sidebar such a- like that. You called me Becca Scott. Please always refer to me right? as Becca Scott whenever <laughs> any of you use. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the Becca Scott. Thank you. Uh, if I ever were to have a holodeck simulation experience of my own, I would choose to be in a Sherlock mystery. I probably wouldn't be able to solve it, but I'd, I'd be there for the ride. I'd be like, I'm just going to watch you work. You do your thing. I assume it's I'd like be, an yeah. escape room, which I am excellent at. Oh, <laughs> if it's like an escape room, then yes. But if it's like the level of what Sherlock Holmes had to do, where, you know, it's like, mm, I deduce that you're left-handed. But I'm because like, you're left-footed and they go hand and foot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about Sherlock Holmes deduction is just like making a lot of very specific observation and then like putting together the whole picture from just the fact that this rope hangs yeah. from here. There must be a snake in it kind yeah. of situation. I deduce that you own a hamster because I right. see a small hair the size of a hamster on your pant leg at the exact same height a hamster would climb to your ankle. Hamsters can only climb to a certain height. Of course. <laughs> and I, and that is how I solved the crime of the missing. Hamster. I love it. It was up his leg. In his must hands. have been a slow month for Sherlock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's get into the episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we begin our episode with, uh, I believe, just Data looking for Jordy on the engineering deck, right? Uh, and he's got an urgent message from right. Jordy. Urgent. And his uh, right? Jordy's assistant Clancy sends Data yeah. to uh, to New the character. to uh, the ship. The victory? The victory. The, the Not the starship victory. Oh, the, it was a fake a out. A sea ship. <laughs> and made by hand, which is quite a feat in the 21st century. You know, you century, can just I'd tell imagine. the computer to replicate that. You know, I think he kind of did. <laughs> I bet he did. Yeah. yeah he didn't or computer, have time replicate the parts, and then I'll put them together like a Lego kit. I've seen I've seen Jordy's engineering schedule. He didn't have time to put that <laughs> yeah. together by yeah. There's no way. He must have been working yeah. on that for he years. He had Clancy on the job. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Yeah. Clancy was like, I did most of that work. Well, if he did it <laughs> the right way, it would have been in a bottle. What was he even doing? That would have been a very big bottle. Wow, yeah. I have a thing about <laughs> shipping the bottle I want to tell you about later. Yeah. Get ready. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that's a preview for what's to come. Uh so we find out that, uh, well, it's time. We have a little bit of extra time because the Enterprise is rendezvousing with the USS Victory, the Starship Victory, and uh, we have some time to kill, so why not go play on the holodeck? See, here's mm. here's the thing with Star Trek. Anytime there's downtime or shore leave, something horrible happens. So <laughs> yeah. in all honesty, they should never take days off, ever. Yeah, that's a really good point. Ever. Is it that is it that something or horrible always happens, or we just get episodes about the horrible things that happen? They seem to coincide. Yeah, if there was just like an episode where they were on vacation doing nothing and just like actually sitting there like reading a book, I guess it I'd would be kind it. of boring. Slow we, we never get to see Risa because everything goes great there, I guess. And it all stays on Risa, whatever happens <laughs> there. Mm. Oh, we'll get there, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> we get right into it with a holodeck experience where Jordy and Data get dressed up. And I have to say, Jordy makes that suit look mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Right? I really Everybody think he looks in dapper these costumes hell. this mm-hmm. episode just pretty It's out. the collar. Yeah. The costume the designer, collar. the costume designer's finally is like, "Yes, finally, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Something other than like off-shoulder weird dresses and yeah. So well, they okay. went all out with this episode. They also yep. built like huge sets for this. Uh, I looked in the production notes and it was like I think a quarter million dollars for all the sets they built for all this, no which is a pretty yeah, high Yeah, and half budget, of that was fog because machines. I think <laughs> <laughs> I think in original series one of the sort of 
the cost cutting measures is they used existing costumes and sets to be like different planets and stuff. And so I just figured that's sort of what happens with holodeck episodes is they finish filming something and they're like, might as well reuse yeah. it. This is so specifically like London in that time period. I think a lot of it was made for the episode. I'm sure they recycled stuff from around Paramount set or whoever that was CBS. I don't know. But like uh, definitely a lot of this was made for this. It feels. Yeah. I know, like, an original series, like, there'd be, like, a mob movie being shot. Right, right. Like, in a studio next door, and it'd be like, oh, now we're on a monster planet. We're like, wait, <laughs> a what? Whole planet. What's next month? <laughs> yeah. A cowboy film? All right, we'll do that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and yet, it made for an oddly compelling sci-fi setting. No one's done mm. cowboy, cowboy sci-fi before. Well, and, now, of and this we is also setting a precedent of um, these sort of holodeck worlds that sort of get attached to these series, too. Because in Voyager, we'll see sort of, like, the, the Captain... Proton or whatever it is uh, that Tom Paris does, and this—I don't know Sherlock... what you're talking about. Elaborate. Right. Well, the Sherlock data trope is something that they can come back to late, later on, mm-hmm. or someone else in England in that time period. Well, they kind of did with the big goodbye, which was Dixon Hill, and then right. they'll recreate with him too. And then yeah. even Data had a little bit of like Sherlock Holmes isms. With uh, there was an episode early in the first season where he did a Sherlock Holmes impersonation. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Picard was introducing Holmes right. to him. Right, right, right. Well, I'm just glad that Jordy is now the Watson. I love yeah. this duo. Any data-centric episode is one of my favorite episodes. And oh, just wait, Becca. Their companionship is beautiful. <laughs> I can't wait till you get to the holodeck episode with all the datas. Spoilers. Ah! Yeah, yeah. We're not gonna go. We're not gonna go there yet. So we we go through the a, a very quick mystery because Data solves it instantly. It is the scandal in Bavaria, I believe it was mm. what it was, which is literally like, oh, this guy's actually against the king. Or it's whatever. the first scene, and you're meeting this person who you think is an ally, but look in their pocket. It's the final scene, all <laughs> in one. And Jordy's just like, fuck this. Yeah, yeah I love it. Jordy. Jordy getting upset with Data is so hard for Data. <laughs> he doesn't understand what's going on. I know. It means so much yeah. more. Ugh. His disappointment speaks volumes. So they go to 10 forward and talk it out. But then we get the scene where Pulaski, again, kind of gets in her bullying mode that we talked about last yeah. episode with Becca. Because I think Becca has mentioned, like, she doesn't like Pulaski because of how much she's, like, demeaning to Data. But this is a yeah. good example of this. Now we're actually going to carry it through and we're going to see it's going to be put to the test. And I, I was actually calling Pulaski a bully at the beginning of this. But then as the scene progresses... Data cheerfully is like, I accept your challenge, Doctor. Would you like yeah. to come along? She's like, I would like nothing more. It's like, oh, this is going to be fun, not antagonistic. She I gets like that. humanized a little in this episode, and I like it because she's starting to warm up. She has a line where she says, you're asking a computer not to compute, Jordy." Yeah. <laughs> well, because the thing with, uh, with Dr. Pulaski is, like, everyone just accepts Data, like, how mm. he is. You know, like, the, the crew of the Enterprise is just so accepting of Data that I I kind of actually found it a little bit refreshing when her character came on board, where it was actually, like, because a lot of people, when meeting an android or something with, you know, sentient life that is part machine, would have those arguments. Um, you know, like, if, if we found AI today... All of us would be like, oh, well, it's just a machine. Like, well, it's, it's definitely going to murder us. We know that. <laughs> of course, of course, us watching Data, we love Data. And we're like, no, he's perfect. Right. But but she's basically get, putting the voice into what most of, I think, humanity would say 
in an argument of, say, an android or a robot. So we get back to the holodeck. We bring Pulaski along this time, and we try again. And we, we say, instead of giving us a, a Sherlock Holmes mystery, give us a Sherlock-esque Holmes mystery, right? Mm-hmm. And Data, once again, uh, observes two different things and solves it really quickly. And Pulaski's like, fraud. She no. also looks Mm-mm. great in red, we should mention. She does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she looks dress. fabulous it's in this color. episode. I feel like her, she, it, it, it exudes, like, her style. Like, mm. she should be wearing that in a medical bay, in my opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I hope yeah. she is next episode. Is she like, wearing something similar to what Crusher wore in The Big Goodbye? No. Crusher no, I can't remember what Crusher fabulous. wore. Crusher had a very form-fitting sort of like trench coaty type of thing where Pulaski's yeah. got like full bustle like Oh yeah, the like, bustle, yeah. 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 Big Victorian-esque, like the 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 brooch, the, the Yeah, the, yeah. the big old stone on her chest too. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, make a wish on that. <laughs> so Pulaski calls a fraud on the situation and Jordy gives one of the best looks I've seen him give uh in this entire <laughs> series, which is like, Data, get over here. Come on, you're making me so stupid. <laughs> well, because it was a mashup of various Holmes mysteries, right. because the computer right. was doing its best, but this is a hard job. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they somehow managed to be like, computer, just make something that data, that could possibly defeat, defeat data. Defeat data? Is that what yeah. the phrase is? And means? not a, defeat Holmes, but defeat data. data. A Holmesque uh, mystery that could defeat data, basically. Right. And uh, in doing so, the computer took a, sh- am I allowed to say shit? Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Well. A shit ton of energy from the <laughs> Enterprise and, and did a whole energy flux and, and was like, oh shit, I need to pull some some extra juice for this. because <laughs> Which was like, noticed like, by the rest of the crew. Yeah. What is it? There's like, there's a bit of like a, a paradox in there too. There's, I think is something about omniscience is like, can something so powerful create another thing powerful enough to destroy it? It's like, can a computer make... A program so powerful it becomes sentient enough to figure out its programming? Yeah, my computer does it all the time. It just shuts off while I'm live. It's great. (laughs) It does not like Monkey Island, and it lets me know it. I told you to stream magic! So we d- we reprogram the holodeck to actually be even more efficient. We notice some visual changes a little bit, but we're not sure what. And then we go exploring once again. And then Pulaski disappears, right? Dun, dun, dun. Well, damsel in distress. Well, yeah. Uh, the, Doctor the, in distress. That yeah. Doctor trope. in distress. <laughs> D- big goodbye? <laughs> Didn't Crusher get uh, kidnapped in Big Goodbye? Yeah. Yeah. As long as you have a woman there to get kidnapped, the scene can continue, right? Thank Becca? you. Yes. Yeah. It's a typical Tuesday for me. Just what if in this here. podcast recording you got kidnapped, Becca? No, don't say that. <laughs> no, no, stop, no. stop. I'm recording a podcast. No. Well, um, now we can uh, move forward. Well, she, she did have a hard out, so there we go. <laughs> I guess kidnapping was on the schedule and we have to keep it going. It's funny because as soon as Pulaski like, disappeared, Data picks up her shoe and is like inspecting it with his magnifying glass trying to figure out what happened to and then he says the pivotal line, which is the game's, game's afoot. A Not a hand. And he's holding a shoe. Mm. Get it? Bingo, bingo. So uh, what I love even before that is how they show Moriarty uh, seeing the arch and like seeing what's happening. It's almost like the computer instantly is like, okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and with just a little bit of racism and from before and a little bit of transphobia, but you know, we're just dancing around it. Oh, oh they yeah. really... That transphobic line was very hushed in the. Li- I like, missed you just it. What was it? Sorry, it. I was getting tea and crumpets. 
I thought you were were kidnapped, but good job. I thought I was too. Turns out, just tea. Weird. (laughs) Yeah, when, with the original mystery that, that Data solves, uh, there's just a little... There, not only does he use, like, a racially charged word uh, to describe people that had kidnapped in the story, but also at the end, I was about to describe that, that the she was actually a he. And then we see this again with Moriarty, who's just like, there was it, like, a dark boy? He what says that dark he? fellow. The yeah. Dark, yeah. Which is funny because, I mean, Watson was uh, was white and also didn't wear a visor, but that's the choice that's, that they tend to right? highlight is skin color. And also, uh, Sherlock wasn't that white. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Data white. It's not Watson with a headband on his face. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, very interesting things they they choose to highlight. Um, mm-hmm. So we we find out that Pulaski's been taken. We don't know by whom yet. Or, I mean, we don't, but um, Data doesn't know. And then we have what I like to call a quick side quest uh, where yes. <laughs> there's uh, someone else has been uh, murdered in the street and Sherlock's got to figure out what happened. What I love about that scene is Jordy's like, ooh, let me try, you know? And he's deducing uh, what he sees and is completely wrong, and, <laughs> and Data actually does solve it, and I just think it's so just so funny that Jordy's just like, ooh, like cracking his knuckles, like, let me give this a shot, I got this, I can deduce, it doesn't deduce. And I, I felt Watson bad fashion. for Jordy in, yeah. in that portion, but then I remembered that's actually the Watson role, is to yeah. incorrectly yep. surmise things, and then let Sherlock come in and finish it. Exactly. Was Jordy like, just playing like, the part? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Watson, like, sets up the Sex up the pitch and then and then Holmes knocks it out of the park. That's that's sports. Yeah, right? that's People. sports right there. Look Get at there me. was a Holmes run word somewhere in there. And Data does discover the more important information that's there with this other uh, red herring of a murder, um, which is that the, the computer is doing something different as than what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And it has it, nothing to do with the capture of the doctor. Right. <laughs> I must go for personal reasons. Yeah. <laughs> also, Jordy's performance as Watson, I think, was a direct choice f- of LeBar Burton to like not have him do a very good accent. Like, <laughs> I feel like Jordy doesn't know how to play act. Is kind of like, the joke. He's just an engineer, so yeah. he's like trying his best with a clearly Americanized version of Watson. <laughs> oh, can we just say real quick because we skipped it in the very beginning that Data playing the violin, yeah, perfectly yes. and amazingly, was such a fun little Easter egg because again, I know that y'all are all watching this and some of you are seeing a lot of these episodes for or a lot of these shows for the first time, but Data actually does play the violin later and it picks it up as a hobby, and so I just think it's so interesting that I think this that the, the fact that Sherlock Holmes plays the violin is what sparks that creativity um, of music in Data, which I've always liked because Data is very much like Sherlock Holmes. He's trying his best to understand empathy and emotions and connect with which Sherlock Holmes does not uh, do. And so I think it's a really cool correlation that Data picks that up later as an actual hobby. Does Brett Spiner play violin? He does later. I wouldn't be surprised. In that scene... In that scene, he was not playing. Yeah, he was not playing. I think he does later. I think he probably took lessons. I think he had to learn a lot of skills to be Data. I mean, Brett Spiner is that actor that will learn any new skill and do it to the best Mm -hmm. of his ability. He's such a perfectionist, which is why he's the perfect choice for Data. He's so good. Yeah, I totally agree. He does play the ukulele. I know that. The specificity of the scene you're talking about was so clear that the scene... Wait, he plays the ukulele? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
That's amazing. The 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 one where Jordy walks out of the hologram because Data's solving the mystery too quickly was an amazing lesson in acting, as Bresbiner is bound to do in every episode where he's featured, uh, because he was just, you know, checking the boxes, performing basically a one-man show of solving this mystery. It was really great. Just fantastic. He's well, perfect. I, He's perfect. To speak on what Bonnie had mentioned too, I think we can see the parallels between a Sherlock Holmes type character and a Data type character of maybe a metaphor for autism or social awareness of being mm-hmm. hyper intelligent and unable to comply to social norms. And it's that journey, you know, of not just them trying to be more human, but other people trying to adjust the way they think and, and see them in society, mm. which is why Pulaski's there. So yeah. That- Yeah, well, so we get uh, quite an astonishing villain in Moriarty, uh, played by, oh man, what is that guy's name? Oh, I got you. His name is Daniel Davis, and I loved him so much. Fell for Moriarty hard, y'all. And I had to look (laughs) him up. Those blue eyes, those bright blue eyes. It was just maybe that's just the contrast on my on my television. Yeah, well, he does have piercing eyes, but it's the intensity with which he holds you to those eyes. And I had to find out, I mean, I had to look him up and see what else I'd seen him in. Niles and the Nanny. He's the butler in the show with Fran Drescher, where she's uh, this very obnoxious nanny. Um, And then I also noticed that he returns to uh, in season six of The Next Generation in an episode called Ship in a Bottle. Which is why I said I would come back to the ship in the bottle. That's a secret for later. That's a future podcast. Yeah, but all the secrets are being kept from me because I'm the only one that's either in this podcast or listens to it that hasn't already watched all of these episodes multiple times. Gotcha. Uh, Another fun fact about Daniel Davis is uh, he used an English accent, but he is from Arkansas and has an American accent. No, what? I would have sworn I know, right? because he in the nanny he's a in British butler. And Guess what? So I would have assumed Arkansas, that he boy. is British because American <laughs> actors don't try. <laughs> One thing that I wish I don't think that I've ever seen this in any uh, reiteration of Moriarty, and maybe it's because, I don't know, but Moriarty, the character himself, is actually born in Ireland, and I don't think I've ever seen a Moriarty with an Irish accent. Is the Moriarty Denver. in the new BBC one with Benedict Cumberbatch? Doesn't uh, he doesn't has, that doesn't he kind of Irish? Mm, I don't think so. You mean the very sexy priest from Fleabag? Love yeah, that guy. He also Patrick plays that role. Yes. <laughs> I don't think he does an Irish accent. Okay. He he might do Scottish. I think Andrew but Scott. Something. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll have to double. What's check. his name? His name is Andrew what? Scott. Andrew Scott. His name is yeah, Moriarty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Y'all. Becca, you also just said that American actors don't try after immediate, like spending two full minutes praising Brent Spiner. <laughs> I know. It was a joke. Uh, it was, um, what I meant to say is that English actors focus way more on their training and their theatrical training and theatrical background than your typical American TV actor does. Uh, and also, Andrew Scott is Irish. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh. I, yeah, I think sidebar there is an Irish tinge to his voice in that. Yeah. So, good. So, yes, that's great. Um, but I, w- I, was, I was looking forward to seeing Moriarty with an Irish accent on the holodeck, but he did not have one. But that's okay. I well, uh, perhaps <laughs> I in the consequence, it. I will just do my Irish accent for the rest of the episode. And <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I'll, do, I'll do one as well. And, and perhaps together. you'll find some consolation in this. Yes, we'll offend every Irish person listening to the podcast today. <laughs> Welcome to our Lucky Charms fan cast. 
Well, uh, then we move on down to out of oh, the. Uh, no. oh, now I'm getting Minnesota. All right, uh, <laughs> we get out of we get out of the holodeck after we realize that something is wrong, and we realize something's wrong because Data looks at a piece of paper drawn by Moriarty after confronting. May I just him, say that I totally boy. called that it was the Enterprise, but I did not think it did would you? be uh, a stick figure version of the Enterprise. <laughs> An outline. Well, he yeah. said something about like uh, I'm like a, a flea on a turtle or something like oh, that. Oh, a fly, a, a fly atop a turtle's fly. back. Yeah. As most flies, you know, that's what they tend Where to do. Where you can't escape. And he realizes that he's a passenger aboard a vessel, and he doesn't quite understand what it is. And we get that interesting revelation uh, at the end of the third act break, I believe. Mm-hmm. What I'm so excited about is I think all of that led up to all of us just being able to see Patrick Stewart in a top hat. I think <laughs> this whole episode was only to get Patrick Stewart in a pop in a popping top hat right. in a nice suit like that's the only that was the whole point of the I did episode. I did I did like as soon as Picard was like I'm suiting up too I was like all right now now we're getting into he what they really to want to do the whole time he just yeah. wanted yeah. yeah oh that's Picard's whole intention as well is he just wants to be able to get into the holodeck and solve a mystery he was rather upset he was left out in the first place mm-hmm uh, yes. I did want to say before we move on from the piece of paper thing, if you've seen Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, there's a great character in Toph, and um, what they could have done here is uh, Data freaking out, what's on this piece of paper, handing it to Jordy and saying like, "Well, I know it's a piece of paper, and there's something on it, but can't see that with my visor, huh?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> because he's used to dealing with data pads and technology right. and stuff. But, uh, no, it was a fun, I especially like the way that he flipped it. And it was like, it's the Enterprise. See? Like, a and reveal. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean that he was looking at it upside down? It's the way he, he flipped it. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get uh, back to the observation lounge and we inform Captain Picard and the bridge crew that, um... We made the difficulty level too hard on our game, and we need help now because the ship's in trouble. And then Sorry. we get our our required French from Picard, <laughs> <Man. laughs> uh, which again uh, that's the second time he's dropped it now, and it, it yeah. made it past the censors. Uh, yeah. I also read somewhere on I can't remember where I read it, but uh, on caption sometimes it'll say "damn" instead of "shit," mm. which I think is how they got away with it. So Picard American ignorance can get you away with many things. <laughs> so Picard resolves to come and help them. Uh he and apparently Worf also suits up. And Worf looks which great. so so fly. Which yeah. is hysterical because he doesn't do anything no. for the rest of the episode. But it's like he's already he's on he's standby. Like, he's excited. He's like, yeah. I'll be here outside the doors. I wish they'd just given him one scene to go punch a, a mugger, right? Like go yeah. go do what Data did and pinch his finger really firmly. <laughs> It's uh, just so funny to me that he got all suited up and like it, it was just the costumer's uh, excuse to like get another costume out of the the warehouse and be like, "Ooh, let's dust this one off." And, yeah. Who fits so, into this? Michael Dorn. Yeah. <laughs> Pulaski and Moriarty uh, have a little bit of a, a scene where they share tea and crumpets, and he's actually quite uh, quite kind to her and is more just inquisitive about what is going on, and she is struggling to explain and realizes that he is not a normal simulation. Well, and mm. all the while, she's giving away information that she doesn't mean to because Moriarty, like Holmes, is able to pick up on what isn't said, the small details that give away too much. I said I would do it, it the rest of the episode. However, that, she but... does not do a very good job. 
Like, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's so often, like, even I could be like, okay. Is part of that on purpose? Because I'm no Sherlock Holmes, but I'm picking up what you're putting down, which you're not putting down anything. But I picked it up and I'm looking at it and I'm like, there it is. But Pulaski is um, entranced by the hologram and its intelligence and its sentience. And part of me thinks that she wanted it to figure it out because she was really inter- enjoying her interaction with him. Listen, is it, here's the isn't thing. Isn't that like Stockholm Syndrome or something? Sure is. Yeah, Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, Sherlock that's what Syndrome. I was going to say. Sherlock Holmes uh, no, Syndrome. Uh, there it is. Uh, Pulaski is very much playing the the science nerd that came along to the LARP. And that she's like, <laughs> I'll play along with your dumb game and we'll have tea or whatever. But really, you know, she's a scientist and she's serious. And so this is her playing and having fun in going along with the game. She thinks that she's being captured to fool data. You could almost see McCoy being here like, damn it, man, we don't have time for crumpets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a statesman. <laughs> Do you think that she's onto the fact that something is not right when he knows the name of data and the enterprise and Picard? Yeah, exactly. That's what that's when it all becomes clear is like uh there's more than meets the eye. Her lack of fear shows that she does not believe herself to be in danger, I would say. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the holodeck, so why would she believe otherwise? And we we also see that she, Pulaski came to the same conclusion that Picard does in the observation lounge in that it's better to blend in and play along rather than give them information. So she, as a Starfleet officer who has like the similar training, comes to the same conclusion as Picard. We've yeah. also learned that perhaps the Enterprise has a much more... Um, like a super souped up holodeck compared to other holodecks she's been on because she was impressed when she first stepped into London. Well, it got it got enhanced, remember? Yeah. Oh, I, I was like, I'm trying to remember because I've seen the episode. But I, that was yeah. the previous episode, right? Okay, it, it, so it was enhanced. Their mm-hmm. holodeck was enhanced. Yeah, they got a new OS uh, on the last stop to Starbase. They got some upgrades. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that was the Binards that did that. Right. Mm-hmm. Picard confronts uh, Moriarty, who is a civilized abductor, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a really great conversation about like sentience for holograms, which is the first time we've really confronted this, and I know not the last. Yeah. Uh, we we kind of did it with um, the Dixon Hill episode, the Big yeah. Goodbye. But the the holograms weren't weren't really sentient in the way that Moriarty is, who really knows what's going on. Right. I think, therefore, I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they pull out the old Descartes. So, like, that's a that's a great moment there to really uh, humanize what is not human at this moment. Don't you say and the T and Descartes loved- because oh. you ignore the ES. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I love to so here's the thing with Moriarty, he is a very villainous evil character um like he is ruthless in in the Holmes series to where what I love what they did here is he actually states I know I'm supposed to be this evil character but now I I'm different I've changed to where because the whole episode I'm just like this is not Moriarty he's giving her tea like Moriarty would not just be like oh let's just sit here and, Pulaski you know, calls that out as well Eva. she says I've yeah. read Holmes and you're not Moriarty <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly so that's what I really loved is that they actually justified that choice and and um went as far as to actually acknowledge it and to make him basically letting him grow. Like, I'm not just this evil character that this computer's created. I've I changed. feel like that's an active choice they made, too, because they wanted to create an adversary that could beat Data, not Sherlock, mm-hmm. which is not, you know, to beat Sherlock, you need someone who is nefarious, whereas with someone to beat Data, you need someone who's clever at recognizing and investigating. And is also more human than on a page. 
which is an interesting twist. Yes. Good point. Yes. Well, and there's direct parallels. There's a reason besides the damsel in distress that it's Pulaski that is has this encounter with this hologram that becomes sentient because we're it's in direct contrast to Data being an an android that has become sentient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you know she goes through that journey with him and sees how sentience could be achieved. Mm-hmm. But the writers have only 45 minutes to address right. it. So Picard's like, you know what? We're going to save program here and we're going <laughs> to we're going to come back to this in the future. We're going to we're going to put a pin on it. I this. really <laughs> love their conversation yeah. because Picard and Moriarty, uh Picard goes in and says, "What if we just give him what he wants?" which is always Picard's answer and always works out fine. And uh <laughs> or blow up or the blows ship. Up the ship. The yeah, <laughs> he flips a coin every morning and decides which it'll be. But it's such a beautiful discussion of what is sentience and when we get to the Descartes um, <clears throat> with the tea. Uh, <laughs> I'll edit out the tea. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> fix that in post. Yeah, okay. and he asked the question, what is it? And, and it's like, you know you're not going to come back to this save file, dude. You're going to forget about me. Uh, but it, he oh, doesn't really I have a season yeah. six. I feel like the genuine curiosity of the of the Enter- uh, Enterprise crew would demand that they return to this, especially someone like Data who knows that someone like this is out there now in the program. Yeah. They would want to see it. It's that a very again. tragic scene. I mean, it was very touching. I really felt for Moriarty. Yeah. Just before we said goodbye to Moriarty, he's just the only person that can say, I'll still fill you up with crumpets and meet it as like a compliment or a nice yeah. gesture. Yeah. yeah, it was a compliment. A it was so sweet. I would still yeah. treat you as as well as any guest, right? By filling you with crumpets until you collapse on my couch. <laughs> I believe in true love, and that Aww. was it right there. Find a man who will feed you crumpets. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> That's a for. great way to look at it, yeah. So, uh, yeah. reportedly, the original ending had Jean-Luc Picard lying to Moriarty, saying that he could exist outside the holodeck, the same oh. way the piece of paper on which the inter- he drew the Enterprise also stayed huh. intact outside the holodeck. But... Uh, and the, the Maurice Hurley, the co-producer, wanted that ending, but Gene Roddenberry said no because it makes Picard look really cruel because he would yeah. go out there and disappear. It's basically, it's, I mean, obviously it's not in the true sense, but it's basically killing someone. Right. It's, it's everything. It's everything that's against the mm. Hufflepuff of Picard. It's also the same uh, ending as the Big Goodbye, right? It's yeah. Like, yeah. We're just well, repeating. Well, it. I think Dissolve. it was an earlier holodeck episode that ended that way. Yeah. Um, with some mm-hmm. gangsters. But there is the discussion of, you'll have to kill me then. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mean murder him with a knife. He means, like, turn me off. Because now you know I'm sentient mm-hmm. in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good conversation, and I like that it left it ambiguous. And mm-hmm. the, well, the, whole, the whole, like, base of the Federation is to discover new life and new worlds. And, you know, uh, they basically... I mean, obviously, it's, it's a little different. It's a holodeck program. But it's basically new life in a sense mm-hmm. to where Picard destroying the program or destroying Moriarty in a sense of, of having him destroy himself by walking out of the holodeck is against everything Federation stands for. Mm-hmm. So for him to save the program and to say that when we figure something else out or whatnot, um, it's equivalent to afford- like, we don't have the cure for this disease now. Let's free some people and <laughs> make them someone else's problem. That makes they a great episode. It. Let's revisit that idea. Yeah. You bring up a very interesting concept about um, why is this ship unique? Why can't other Federation holodecks create something similar and not have the wise Picard to know how to handle it? And then there is this new life that they have to morally deal with. They need to send out a memo about this occurrence, right, to the (laughs) other ships. Be like, hey, uh, keep the difficulty settings low. Urgent, (laughs) urgent. Yeah, maybe not try. Well, in that defense, though, creating an adversary to defeat, you know, 
Jordy or someone else, like they could create a program that's complicated that, you know, most human minds would not be able to, you know, that would have a difficulty doing. But to, to, right. to beat someone like Data, you have to go above and beyond. Yeah. And- um, so that was really – it was really great that we got to explore Sherlock Holmes. Just a quick note, at the time of filming, the producers believed that Sherlock Holmes' character was in public domain. But after the episode aired, the estate of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle notified Paramount that they retained the percentage to the rights of the character and they Yikes. required a usage fee. So that's why we don't get another sequel of this for years because of the legal problems. Yep, and they got to wait till it's public domain. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but I'm so excited for, for more antics on this. I, this episode was great. It was a good little romp in the, the holodeck. Uh, and next episode, we're going to get a romp in space because we have the outrageous Okona. Mm. The Enterprise crew rescue a freighter captain whose ship is malfunctioning, but his oh, presence yeah. drags them into an interplanetary feud. This is basically like the Jerry Springer of Star Trek. This episode <laughs> is a Jerry Springer episode. And I, I, go watch it and you'll understand what I'm talking about. That's a good preview for next week, a Jerry Springer episode of Star the Trek. Jerry I would Springer watch that. Jerry Springer episode of Star Trek. <laughs> well... Like, uh, thank you, Bonnie, for so much for being on here. Uh, I'll send a link to all of the awesome stuff you're involved in in our description below. Thank you. Uh, um, but before we head out, I want to say something that I think Data says when he realized Pulaski's gone, which is the game. The game is, is a foot. Is a- the game is afoot. I had a delay. I had a delay on mine. <laughs>